Biagrod is produced by headscape.co.uk. It is supported by Shopify.com, a designer-friendly e-commerce solution. For information on Shopify, go to shopify.com forward slash boagworld. On this week's show, the entire Boag World community shares its thoughts on web design and Megan Fisher gives us practical advice on building a mobile website. Hi Paul, how are you doing? Hi Paul, how are you? Hello Paul. Hi Paul. Hi Paul and Marcus. Hello and welcome to the first ever BoagWorld.com podcast. Boag World. Hello and welcome to the 174th episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul Boag and I'm joined today by Craig. Hello Craig. How are you? Quite scared today. Why? Because you're replacing Marcus. I've taken a step up from being quite personally cool and making sarcastic comments to in fear of being co-host. Yes. We'll see what happens. Well, we've lost Marcus, haven't we? Because he's gone off on his on his holiday. I hope that means I'm not doing his joke. No, you're not. We will have no jokes. Oh, okay. We're serious, are we? We're serious. It's Marcus that just brings the whole tone of the thing down. So I think having the two of us would be much more healthy, generally speaking. So, um, yes, uh, apologies if the audio's crap this week, because the one area that Marcus is quite useful on is the quality of the audio, so deal with it. Basically, turn off now if you don't like bad audio, because you're going to get... Don't, don't people already complain about the audio? Yeah, they do. Even when it's professionally done? Yes, well, professionally as in Marcus. Semi-professionally. Semi-professionally as in amateurish. But not as amateur as he can listen to you, There's no way Marcus will listen to he this. Might, he he's, not actually, he's not actually interested in web design at all, I don't think. I don't know really why he does this job. I see. <laughs> right, a couple of pieces of housekeeping before we kick, kick off. Um, number one is um, I'm running a workshop on the 23rd of October that you may be interested in attending if you're a freelancer or involved in selling web design services. So the, basically the workshop um, I'm doing it will teach you how to sell yourself to prospective clients, how to generate sales opportunities and how to um, effectively build a long-term partnership with your clients. Um, so if you're interested in attending um, or want to find out more, then there's a link in the show notes at bowagworld.com forward slash podcast forward slash 174. Um, as an added bonus you can get a discount um, if you enter the code CWPB underscore 09 at checkout. You'll receive 15% off, so it's worth doing. I promised the guys at Carsonified that I would pimp my own workshop, so I am hereby pimping. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention is some good news if you're in the UK. Very unusually, there's actually a few tickets left for this year's Deconstruct Conference on the 4th of September in Brighton. Normally, this is a conference that sells out in a matter of minutes, so it's quite amazing, really, that they've got places left. Are you, you're going to deconstruct, are you? Uh, yeah, me, uh, Dave, you, Marcus. Loads of us, then. Uh, Paul and Ryan are there as well, aren't they, I think. Are they? Oh, I yes, 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 they are. I'm making it up. But yeah, because we're gonna, yeah, but we're going to be recording some interviews while we're there. So, um, yeah, basically, they're going to be around as well. So, yeah, there's going to be a right posse. Should we all wear our t-shirts? No. 
That would be sad. Yeah, that'd not be good. That would be bad. It's only you that <laughs> it's only you that ever wears the headscape t-shirt. I feel proud, Paul. What can I say? <laughs> it's just that cool working for us. So yes, we're gonna be going um and we're gonna be recording some more interviews like we did at Future Web Design. And we're gonna have a meetup apparently. They're trying to encourage meetups over lunch. So we're having a meetup. When you say we're having a meetup, what do you mean like a Boag World oh, meetup? Right. We're doing the Boag World podcast now. That's yeah. what this thing is. Who are they, though, that's encouraging these meetups? Um, the the um, Deconstruct, so Claire Lefloff. Okay. Apparently, there are going to be lots of little meetups over lunchtime. Obviously, ours will be the biggest and the best, and everybody will come flocking to that. Is there a large funding? No. no. There's no Just money for it. We're, hanging we're, around in a corridor? Yes. <laughs> eating lunch together. That is about it. I expect we'll have a picnic in the park, presuming cool. it's not peeing down with rain. Anyway, why am I talking about this? Oh, yes, just the fact that there's tickets still available, which is very unusual. Um, yeah, and uh, but we're, we're going to go one step further. We're actually going to run a little competition, which is always fun. Um, uh, and we're going to give away two tickets, each which are worth £115 plus that, for those of you that are, are in the UK. Obviously, there's no point of entering this competition if you can't go to deconstruct because you live in Latvia and don't want to fly. Um, uh, but yes, so how do you win tickets? Yes, that's it. Twitter competition. I'm into Twitter at the moment. I'm having a Twitter <laughs> renaissance. So we thought we'd run a competition. Now, listen very carefully. I shall say this only once, which is in a lower low reference, which will mean nothing to most people listening okay, to the show. You got it, do you? Am I young? I don't know. Uh, you're of a certain age. <laughs> I don't know. So yes, um, what you're going to do to enter this competition is you have to tweet the following. My perfect web conference would include dot, dot, dot. You don't need to put the dot, dot, dot. You put what your perfect web conference would include. So we're going to search on that phrase, my perfect web conference would include, and we're going to pick the best answer. Um, tweet your answer by the 1st of August for a chance of winning. The guys at Clear Left uh, will then pick the two most um, inspirational, funny, entertaining answers and contact you uh, by email. In fact, I think I'm picking one and they're picking the other, something like that. Oh. So I, I thought that was quite a good little competition. So I, take, I take it the headset people who aren't going can't, can't, can't enter. Friends, <laughs> friends and family, uh, what's the normal thing they say with competitions? Friends and family cannot enter or whatever. Yes. So, um, yeah, that'd be good. Um, and Deconstruct is an excellent conference, so um, you'll want to check that out. So that's all the housekeeping. Should we then move on to the news? So news. Yes, none of our news stories are techie today, so you're redundant. I seem to manage to get onto the podcast where I have nothing relevant to talk about. <laughs> Dave seems to manage to get on ones where he's actually talking about so something. Oh, so you're saying that we've got sort of favouritism towards Dave? No, I play it safe. I don't say anything controversial <laughs> about something I do. Can't get called up on it like Dave could. Yeah, well, you've got you've got to be controversial, I think. Just make up all kinds of crap. It's Although good. I did uh, did suggest design was just colours in my own, on my life. Yes, so maybe, yeah. Maybe I did say something <laughs> slightly controversial. I don't know. Right, anyway, news. Um, first of all, uh, I've learnt a new word this week called microcopy. Um, yes. Did you make it up? No, someone oh, yeah. else did. Oh, okay. But it wasn't my makeup this time. So, microcopy is a small piece of text that um, reassures users and nudges them in the right direction. So, it's different from kind of instructional text, you know, the kind of thing that's criticised in Steve Crude's book, Don't Make Me Think. Did you, uh, is it, do I remember rightly that you never made it to the end of that book? I, I own That's your commitment to usability? I own that book along with many other books that I purchase on a whim and then read a few chapters and stop. Right. So uh, 
I have read the book. Is my official statement on that? Just because you own a book doesn't mean you've read it. Does. It does. It makes me feel better. So I look at my bookshelf and think, yeah, I, I know all these things. I'm a master of everything. It's amazing. So um, this got me. Um, yes. Anyway, the, so instructional text that Steve Crew criticises is, uh, I'll tell for, for, for obviously, uh, for Craig's view. Obviously, I'm aware of these. these yes. Yeah. So what does Steve Krug say about instructional copy then, Craig? Uh, I don't know, and I can't even quickly read the notes. <laughs> <laughs> written, it's written wrong. right in front of you, and you still can't read it. I love it. Okay. Something so, about stating the obvious. Yes. So Steve Krug's, um, uh criticises instructional text because it just states the obvious. That's not what we're talking about here. The microcopy um, is copy that clarifies and reassures. So um, in the post, writing microcopies, um, Joshua Porter provides a number of examples of microcopy in action. So here's some examples that might clarify what it is. So he writes... Um, for these are examples. When signing up for a newsletter, say this is a low volume newsletter, so people don't think, you know, because people worry, don't they, about getting spammed, basically. When people add their email address, say we hate spam as much as you, to again reassure them. When subscribing for something that's free, say you can always unsubscribe at any time. Um, when selling for pay, uh, sorry, when selling a paid-for web application, be sure to let people know that there's a free trial and that they have that free trial, and they'll get that. Um, when storing customer information, say you can export your information at any time. So it's all you get the idea. It's all things to kind of reassure users that it's okay to do whatever you want them to do. He also cites a case where he cut credit card processing errors to near zero by adding a single sentence, which was, be sure to enter the, uh, the billing address associated with your credit card. Um, just by putting that line in, he stopped users that were accidentally um, you know, putting in the wrong address or whatever. Almost all of the examples given in the post um, have one thing in common. They help alleviate the concerns that users have by answering the questions they already have in their head. So as Joshua um, concludes, don't be deceived by the size of microcopy. It can make or break an interface. So it's a good article. Definitely check that one out. I enjoyed, enjoyed that one. So does he just provide examples, or is he talking about almost like tutorials, how to come up with this sort of stuff? Um, like he talks about... So you can reuse. Yeah, he talks about the, the kind of underlying principles and then gives some examples just to kind of put it all in context, really. Uh, it just, I, th I think it's... The trouble is with copy, all that kind of copy... Now, who's responsible for it? Do you know what I mean? It's not that the client ever thinks of writing that kind of stuff. You know, should you be responsible as the developer? Should, I, you know, Lee be responsible as the designer? Who does that? You know, and I think it, as a result, often gets forgotten and kind of needs to be included I in the process. I think it's the sort of copy that a client might not do, and therefore it's going to be driven by, by the agency to push. Yeah. They might have to come up with the words to keep it in line with their, their tone stuff across the whole site but they probably wouldn't be putting these sort of things mm. in. I mean it's a really good example of how, how actually having a proper copywriter on board is really important because they pick up on this kind of stuff. Yeah. I think we need a we need a copywriter at Headscape. It's my new little thing. Don't we often um, utilise uh, Ray from Clearleft? That... She's not from Clearleft. She's a freelancer that Clearleft uses as well. Uh, I made a mistake there. Yeah, see now you put your foot in it. So it makes it sound like we just use clear left people. We outsource. <laughs> we don't actually produce any web design at all. We just outsource everything to clear left. Yeah, that's the way to do it. It's just all a big fake. No, yeah, we use we use Rally. Poppy Copy, 
I think it is, .co.uk is her website. She writes really good stuff, so that's good. Yes, we do use her. There's a little plug for her. But we don't have a... We don't have an in-house, in-house person. I think we could, one day we might need one. It's part of my great grand vision for world domination. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Um, in some ways, it, it seems almost pe- pointless to discuss microcopy when many website owners are having problems generating any quality content at all. Um, it's not that they're doing a bad job exactly. It's simply that they're under-resourced and don't have time to give it the attention it deserves. Um, they're relying uh, on experts within their organization to provide copy and either these people are just too busy or terrible writers you know they're experts in their product or whatever it is that that you know that you're trying to promote through the website um, but it doesn't mean that they're good writers and yeah like I say a lot of the time they're too busy to write anything that said the copy is what users really care about and one way or another we need to ensure that it's consistent and of a high quality one thing that might help actually is a, a list apart article um, that's out this week um, on content templates. Now, I just need to clarify, we're not talking about the kind of content templates found within the content management system. We're talking about um, templates that can be given to content providers to help them write better content. So in essence, a content template is a form that content providers can fill in. It will suggest the kinds of content um, they need to provide and even give advice on how to write and present that content. Um, so in the article, the author gives an example of some content templates to say a product page. Um, the template asks for information such as the product's name, what it, uh, what it is, who it's for, what it does, um, why does the reader need it. Um, and it also gives an example of how copy might be written and advice on how to go about laying out, in other words, using bullets or data tables or whatever else. So is this intended as a replacement for having a, a copywriter? No, no, it's kind of accepting. It, 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 what would happen is, because even a copywriter, you know, if, if, say if we took on a copywriter in Headscape, right, yeah. and we went into one of our clients, and we had a new client on board and we went in, there's no way a copywriter can sit down and write all that copy for, from scratch because A, no client is ever going to pay for that, um, and B, there's not going to have the expert knowledge. So what you do is that copywriter would send out these content templates, get everybody to fill the content in, then they would edit it and te- put it into a consistent tone and, oh, and present it in the right way. So it's a tool for enabling copy editing and writing, really. Okay. Um, but, but, I mean, it could be used... By anybody, whoever is ultimately responsible for the for the content of the site can use this, and we could be suggesting this for you know the the, the person within the organisation of our clients that are you know having to pull the comp- content together. So yeah, it's quite a good little tool. I was quite impressed. Um, it's a good concept and easy easy to adopt. Um, it's not going to solve your content woes, but it, but it will increase the quality of the copy that you receive from content providers, which is pretty important. Okay, our next um, news story kind of starts in 2003, so it's not exactly a current news story. Um, when Cameron Moll wrote, Good designers copy great designers still, which is a, quite a good post, really, in which he explores where designers draw their inspiration. It's not the first article to tackle the subject, and neither uh, was it the last. In fact, only this week, the web designer Depot have released a similar post entitled Great Designers Steal? Um, what's interesting about this new post is it kind of defines three levels of designers, right? So there's the designers that copy. So normally these are designers that are just starting out. 
Um, or developers who are trying to do design. Yeah, that would be it as well. Um, and they're kind of learning about design. So often that involves visiting website galleries and lifting designs in their entirety, only making minor alterations. So that's kind of copying... The name at the top of the CSS. Yes, that kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's what kind of really annoys professional designers, um, especially when it's your site that's ripped off, as it's happened a few times to us in the past. I think there was a, a recent post from Paul on Twitter, one of his... Yes. Yeah, clear left get ripped off quite regularly um, as well. I've got mixed feelings about this. Yes, it's wrong, and yes, it's breaking someone else's copyright. But it is a it is a way to learn, um, you know, because you you as you make changes to it and you alter it, and I don't know. It depends on how it's. It's lazy if it's a professional designer doing it. It's okay if it's somebody ripping it off for their own personal website. Is kind of my attitude. Yeah, well, I think a wholesale rip off you don't necessarily learn because no. you're probably unlikely you're actually going to change it. You're just going to use it like it's a, like it's a WordPress theme or something and just keep it. Yeah. We do anything. Yeah. Um, that's a fair comment. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I know a few developers who do this sort of thing who would just like get templates or, you know, sort of copy wholesale thing just for something small. Yeah. Um, which I don't think is an issue if it's a small kind of personal project anyway. I mean, who cares that someone's, you know, some site that's got about five hits a month uses your design when your design gets hit, you know, yeah. Yeah. a day or something. Um, but yeah, yeah. There's a line, isn't there, that you you kind of need to be careful. You're not better to off probably. I I don't have a problem with obviously inspiration sites like big sites that do loads of designs, but I think you should probably use that almost like your mood board for yeah. So pick out say ten that uh, theme that you want, and then use that as your inspiration rather than mm -hmm. wholesale copying something because you're not going to develop it yourself. You're just going to sit in that narrow mindset using someone else's design, someone else's approach. Yeah. And that actually brings us on to the second group of designers, which is those who steal, in inverted commas. Um, so generally, these are more experienced designers um, who find inspiration in other designs, you know, details, aspects of it. And this is, you know, a technique that we use quite a lot. So I, I've got a whole, um, I use a little snapper, the, the Mac app, to um, grab bits of websites that I really like, and I kind of keep those. And then when we get a new project on, I go back through those, pick out the ones that, that you know, I feel are appropriate. And then I, you know, make up a little mood board of those and pass those on to the designer that the designer then uses as a start of, you know, their proper mood boards, if that makes sense. Um, and I think, you know, this, this is where a lot of designers are kind of at this level, that they're inspired by themes or specific details of a design. Um, however, these elements are then heavily customized and altered for their final design. But there is a third group of people which this article um, suggests exists, which are designers who seek originality. And these designers actively avoid looking um, at other sites for inspiration. And they turn instead to print and art and architecture and nature um, at their desire to create something truly original. Um, and the idea of looking beyond the web for inspiration is far from new. Um, but it, it, there is something quite inspiring about this post, and I particularly liked the conclusion at the bottom, um, where he, he said something quite poignant, really, which is, the pursuit of originality on the web is not a lost cause. The web industry is still young, and some things have not yet been attempted. Um, once you understand the basics of design, try to think outside the box. He needs to be shot for saying that, but we'll forgive him. Um, and try new and different things. Be atypical and unique. Experiment. 
Don't be afraid to design from the heart, but to, uh, keep this in mind. Things which are different in order to be different are seldom better, but that which is made to be better is almost always different. I like that quote. Um, theories and conventions are, um, are, always, are always being questioned, challenged and broken, and they should be. Um, if you believe a better way is possible, you will often find your way to it. So, yeah, I thought that was, that was it's, it's got a good tone. The three levels uh, are almost common sense in a way, but it's oh, nice yeah. to see it, it down in a, in a progression like that. I mean, yeah. the, th the third point particularly, when, if I've ever read a designer's blog or, or anyone doing their kind of how I work type thing, so many often say that they'll either walk around with a mini camera yeah. or they'll have a notepad and they'll just be taking photos of random I don't know, road signs or, yeah. or things in the field and, and various stuff and using that for inspiration. In fact, any designer I've ever read, obviously you're normally attracted to sort of bigger well-known ones, has said that as their key sort of mm -hmm. inspiration rather than, in fact, quite a few are almost opposed to looking at other people's sites because of narrowing yourself immediately to that site and that yeah. approach. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't object to looking at, at, at other people's sites, but I, I'll tend to not capture, when, when I do my little snapper thing, I don't tend to capture entire pages, I just capture little bits that grab me yeah. but yeah I do walk around with a camera as well my iPhone's a camera so yeah. you know I, I walk around with that and I take photographs there's also a great website that I use quite heavily now called um, found but it's spelled with three f's at the beginning fff found found.com and that, that's like an image gallery of loads of, of, not websites at all, but photographs, bits from uh, magazines, all kinds of stuff. And there's loads of inspiration and cool stuff in that. So that's a good one as well. Do you um, keep like a scrapbook? Yes. Either digital or... A, a digital or scrapbook. But that's what I use Little Snapper for, is, um, because I, I'll put in stuff, photographs into there as well. I keep everything in there. But you could use whatever tool you want. I mean, a physical scrapbook's quite nice as well. I was reading a blog this morning about someone who really likes having a proper journal and writing in it. So yeah. I keep a sketchbook, um, which is a slightly different thing, where I kind of sketch out wireframes and ideas and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole other subject. We talked about that, and I'll go on the show, I think. And she sketchbooks. Anyway, final news story. Yes. Um, so on this week's show, later on, we've got Megan Fisher talking about practical ways you can start building, um, you know, a mobile version of your site. It, it therefore seemed appropriate that we feature a post from SitePoint entitled Six Tools for Testing Designs on Mobile Devices. Now, the six tools featured are um, something called Device Anywhere, which is um, allows customers to sign up and test any device, any network, any anywhere is their strap line. Um, there are a range of subscription plans, and you can sign up for a free trial. There's another one called um, MobiWeb, no, sorry, MobiReady even, um, which tests the mobile readiness using industry best practice and standards. Think of it as like a validation tool, a validator really. Um, you get a free report outlining uh, how well your site performs against that. There's Opera Mini, which has got a live demo of their um, Opera Mini browser. Um, that functions just as it would if installed on a handset. Then there's the W3C Mobile OK Checker, which performs, again, a range of tests, pretty much like Mobi Ready. 
um, and is a validation thing. There's .mobi emulator, which emulates a real mobile phone web browser. It is a bit limited, um, as you can only choose from two different mobile phones, but other than that, it's worth checking out. And then there's um, iPhoney, which, as you can imagine, is specific for iPhone testing, um, and is a downloadable application for testing iPhone websites. So, um, yes, really good. I've got to say, with the number of internet-enabled smartphones rocketing, this is an area of increasing importance, and these tools will become increasingly useful. Um, so check out that post for details. And I guess that brings us nicely on to our interview with Megum, uh, and where we talk, well, actually, not we at all, it's a Paul and Ryan interview, talk to Megan about um, building a mobile website. Alright, so we're here with Megan Fisher. Hello Megan. Hi guys. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Good, we've just seen you on stage talking about uh, mobile, designing for mobile. That's right. That's right. Designing effective mobile interfaces. That, that was the one. <laughs> Paul checks his badge, as we said. Yeah. <laughs> just to double check. You're uh, so Megan Fisher, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, so I really enjoyed your talk. Thank you. Um, so we're kind of just asking you about it for, for all the Bargwell listeners. All I right. suppose, first of all, do you want to tell us uh, who you are, who you, where you're from, and so the bit for people who don't know who you are, so that they have a little bit of an understanding? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm Megan Fisher. I work for SimpleBits with Dan Cedar Home, mm-hmm. and we're based in Boston, Massachusetts. Right. Small little web design shop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so carry on. Carry on. I interrupted you. I did write some notes. Um, <laughs> so, just give us the, the overview of what you talked about today. Sure. Um, so, basically, where I'm coming from is I'm a designer for desktop browsers first, and that's what I've been doing for the past several years, and kind of ignoring mobile web because it seems intimidating, and um, there's so many devices out there with all the different resolutions and different CSS support. So, it seemed rather scary, but recently Dan's been working on this new application he's launching and I decided to take on the challenge of doing the mobile website for it. So my talk was kind of covering how you get started when you're first approaching mobile web design. Okay and you gave us uh, three distinct kind of levels of mobile support that you can roll in. (laughs) Uh, Kind of the easy with little work and kind of benefits with that and then progressively the more work you put in then the better kind of experience right and that's I think that's the key with starting with mobile web design is that you can do it in small steps it can be iterative Um, the first step can just be showing your markup and that's obviously the easiest step and then slowly adding a little styles that kind of enhance the site for mobile users and eventually it'd be great if we could all design our own mobile specific sites so so in your kind of day-to-day client work, is this something that you try and roll in to the client saying, we can build you this mobile interface? And I can tell it's probably one of the things that often gets cut from the budget if you say, right, it's gonna, we can build this fantastic mobile interface for you, or we can just give the basic level of support. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I'm, I haven't had a lot of clients actually requesting mobile sites, and normally I'll just kind of, you know, you want to make sure that your markup is well-written and... I'll do a quick little kind of mobile style sheet, sort of like when you do your print style sheet, that's yeah. just a, like a standard step. Um, and I I actually haven't really offered to do a full-on mobile interface yet, that's kind of a big task. And working on Dribble is the first step. When you work on your own projects, you can do these things and not worry about budget and just have fun with it. So. 
you talked about um, three steps um, in your chart. Do you want to take us take sure. us through those and just give us an overview of each? Let's see if I can remember them without the slides. I can remind you. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, what was it? The first step is customizing the layout. No, that was second. clean and accessible oh, right. HTML. Thank you. You're welcome. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that jet lag. Um, okay. So the first step is you just want to make sure that your markup is always standards-based and semantically correct. Hopefully most of your viewers or listeners, I should say, are already doing this. Um, but, I mean, the benefits for using web standards are well-known. You, They're faster to load and accessible for a lot of people. Um, Okay, I'm sorry. I'm having a brain fart here. Okay. I'm so tired. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so yes, the first step is writing clean, accessible markup. There's a lot of benefits to doing this, as we all know. But for mobile devices specifically, they're going to load a lot faster. And if you're not using tables for layout and you're using correct semantics in terms of headline tags and unordered lists and strong tags for emphasis, then you're going to have a much better shot at getting your site to render correctly on a mobile browser. Mm -hmm. Sure. And you also talked about uh, mobilizing the layout and <laughs> reordering content based on the kind of device and the context in which the site will be used. Right. So the first step you can do is just making sure your site's one column um, and disabling floats is an easy way to do that. And then you want to display none is your friend. Um, <laughs> you want to hide any content that's just not going to be useful for mobile users, especially things like Flash and all that sort of um, added stuff. And uh, yeah, making sure that the most important content comes first and that it's easy to navigate and you can get a clear picture of what the site does. Disabling images is another good step because that impre improves load times, of course. And finally, it was uh, Staying with your brand. Right. So a lot of people think maybe, or I don't know, maybe people assume that because you're designing for such a small screen space um, and you want to keep your load times fast, that this means you can't have all the cool branding stuff that you would have on your regular website for your desktop browser. But that's not necessarily true. You can still incorporate background images. And if you use small compressed graphics that are relevant to your branding, that would still work. Keeping the color scheme, color scheme consistent with what you have on your normal website and um, the typography, you can kind of play with that and there's fairly good support for that. So. Okay. You got the, this asked uh, during the Q&A at the end, but I'm going to hijack it and ask you again for the benefit of our listeners. Uh, with the adoption of devices like the iPhone and the Blackberry and consistent UIs with WebKit and Safari kind of coming into the mobile browser and being able to use jQuery and all that jazz, uh, can you see it getting easier to develop these kind of things and how would you go about testing for, for different devices? Sure, um, so it's kind of a two-parter. You know, when you're considering things like the iPhone, um, there's still a lot of advantages to creating a separate mobile site for these devices and really the biggest thing you want to think about is the resolution. In the old days of web design when we had to design sites they were 800 by 600, for 800 by 600 resolution. Yeah. Obviously that was something you considered in the design process. So just because the iPhone renders using WebKit and it looks like it would in Safari doesn't mean that you don't want to design for that screen size. Um, as far as testing for different devices, most of the major devices out there have a rendering engine that you can look at. Um, there's also a lot of great tools. One that I used is um, mobify.me, 
and they have support for something like 4,000 devices and they'll let you <laughs> test on those and also um, they have a script that you can use that will automatically direct those browsers to your mobile site. How, how consistent are they between devices? Are they, do some, some devices majorly inconsistent in the way that they render sites or are they quite are we nearly there? <laughs> yeah. um, it's definitely gotten better with the, especially with things like um, zooming, and yeah, there's a lot more support for different styles. Um, you know, it's it's difficult to say because it really varies. In places like Africa, they're using kind of older devices, maybe with smaller screens, and obviously the iPhone is hugely popular in the states, so that's what I use to test, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, you know, the, it's difficult with consistency, and there's been a lot written about it. I, I mentioned in the talk, um, the article on our list apart about designing the return of the mo mobile style sheet, is what the article's called, and he kind of goes over that and mm -hmm. the consistency and support for handheld CSS files. Sure. Uh, are there any books or articles that you'd recommend people who are wanting to know more about this to check out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I said, if you go on a list apart and just search mobile, there's obviously a list apart is a great resource for designers, um, and they have excellent articles on the mobile web as well. Uh, Cameron Mole has written a fantastic book called Mobile Web Design, and it's available as a PDF download. It's fairly inexpensive, and that's what I used when I first started doing my research. Also, if you go on Delicious and search the tag um, FAUD09 research, you can see all the resources that I used for putting my talk together. So, we're doing something a little bit different for this week's listener section. Um, instead of answering listener questions, I decided to ask my Twitter followers to help me to write a blog post. And I was a little bit surprised, really. It's turned into a hugely popular post, one of the most popular posts that we've ever done. So, basically, I asked my Twitter followers for their web design words of wisdom. And I had well over 200 um, responses. And so what I thought I'd do is bring together the lessons that we kind of learned from that. It's really lazy of me, basically. Uh, I'm just... Uh, I'm does, used... does that mean you were crowdsourcing, Paul? Crowdsourcing. That sounds much get, better than lazy, the, doesn't get, it? Just get the word in there. Yeah. Good, good, good for you, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I tend to use Twitter now almost more than I use, not almost more than I use Google, but depending on the kind of question that I've got, I'll often turn to Twitter first. Do you, do you hashtag it lazy web as a way of covering for yourself that you're asking an obvious question? No, I just, I just, Google. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the kind of etiquette, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah. I know I could have gone to Google. But <laughs> I've decided to do this instead, yeah. Although I imagine you, with the number of followers you, followers you have, you must just get loads of replies saying the same thing. So that, you say, how yes. about this? And you get like a million replies going. What I, what I tend to do is once I get an answer, I'll tweet the answer back. So A, it's a benefit to other people, but B, it shuts everybody up. <laughs> Otherwise, you do get a lot of re repetition. So I thought, you know, one step further than the lazy web thing will be the, the lazy blog thing. <laughs> Perhaps I should have hashtagged it, lazy blog, yeah. um, where they write the, the blog post for me. So, um, so yes, let's have a look at some of the things. I mean, the, the set of stuff that came back was absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I basically, I, I, um, I asked, I'm writing a, a post on web design words of wisdom, think Confucius says. So post uh, to Twitter in 140 uh, characters or less. 
So setting aside the people that wanted to point out the fact that I didn't spell Confucius right, um, or can't even say it, apparently now, which is even better. Um, Answers range from the silly to the surreal, although amongst it there were some real gems and a number of reoccurring themes, and that's really what I want to share. So the first one was focus on your users. There was a general consensus that uh, maintaining focus on the needs of users was a crucial component in a successful website. Dan put it best when he wrote, um, if you can't work with your users, talk to them. If you can't talk to them, at least think about them. And a number of users commented about Steve Krug's great book that really everybody should have read. It's, it's on my shelf. It's well found. Um, don't make me think. Where, um, However, this one particularly, the irony of this particularly struck me, where um, somebody uh, tweeted, Confucius says, don't make me think, which because Confucius was a great thinker. Don't make the thing. It's good. It was a joke. Well done. It's very funny. <laughs> Excellent. It's a good replacement for Marcus's joke. Yes, there we go. Same quality. <laughs> um, there's also a lot of advice on the importance of providing adequate signposting for users as they navigate the site. And, and Colin wrote, when leading a user, make sure they always know where they are, how to leave and how to continue. The issue of users becoming lost and confused also leads on to a call for simplicity. And a number of contributors spoke about the importance of keeping our site simple and intuitive. Nicky Brown um, encapsulates this attitude when he wrote, um, this, uh, keep it simple. The average user tends to get confused uh, with massively complicated interfaces. And it's certainly true that any damage um, there... Well, start that again it's certainly true that many damage their sites by continually adding features and content when they should be just simplifying however according to some of our twitterers that is easier said than done and one wrote simplicity is the most complex of achievements while another indicated that the ability to create simple sites only comes with experience Um, as you become a better designer this person wrote your designs become simpler um, it's interesting, I, um, I went to a pitch yesterday when I was say, saying that the trouble is, is nobody's responsible for taking content away from a website. Do you know what I mean? Just adding. Yeah. And so people add and add and add and it gets more and more complex. There is no doubt that simplicity, simplifying a website can be a challenge. However, um, as I explained in a previous post, um, if you challenge the need for new features, it is possible too many web projects experience scope creep that undermines simplicity. Um, that is where having a clearly defined brief comes in, which was the next reoccurring theme that we had. Um, and too many web projects lack clear boundaries and often their wish lists of functionality um, that have not been fully considered. And as Rich Wells points out, the first step is to define the problem. When planning at a site, it's always worth asking what problem am I trying to solve before looking at functionality and solutions? The trouble is that many of us are seduced by some new piece of web functionality and forget that our websites should primarily be about fulfilling business objectives. And Mark points this out when he writes, think business first and technology second. Of course, defining the scope of a project should not just be um, the role of the client. The web designer has a responsibility too. And Wendy explains, clients think they um, know what they want until you ask the right questions. I think that's a really good one. I like that one. So it's down to us as web designers to ask the right questions. 
And in order to do that, we need to understand the business. And one of our Twitterers encourages us to get as much into, uh, info from the client upfront as possible. Even things uh, you think aren't uh, that relevant, get to know their needs. Web designers and clients should work together to define the scope of a project. The client brings their business expertise while the designer brings their knowledge of the web. Unfortunately, the role of web designers are often reduced to that of pixel pushers, which brings us on to our next point, which is recognising. These are flowing, aren't they? They're flowing together. These are flying out. I know. These are quick. It's Um, good. I feel like I should jump in, but you're going too fast. Oh, sorry. I'll go slow. Pausing now for Craig to input something profound. Go, Craig. (laughs) We're waiting for something Um, really profound. I I agree. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to keep it simple, one uh, goes along with uh, things like programming principles, like keep it simple, stupid, the whole KISS principle. Yeah. Um, The the stuff about clients ties in, in my mind, to the the talk you do on um, the one you did at Open Web Simpson. Uh, educating clients to say yes. Yeah, mainly because they're talking things about um, uh, problems and instead of solutions. Yeah. So that your your description in that talk was talking about us asking them to provide us with problems, not solutions. And here it's um, asking yourself what yeah what the problem is yeah. rather than looking at solutions. So it all ties in, I think. Yeah, in see, a nice cohesive whole. You'd, you'd almost think that I presented a consistent argument. You, you would. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not true. I did the, you know, this, this, the way this all flows nicely together, I learned that from writing the book. They make you do that. Really? Segways. I, I you got a copywriter in. Got a copy. A ghostwriter. Yeah. <laughs> I had a ghostwriter in my book. You just some facts onto a, onto a mind map somewhere. Like, oh, there we go. So I'm, in fact, someone else splurged the facts. <laughs> if you did get a copywriter, what did you do? Well, I got a ghostwriter, and basically all I did was send them, uh, here's a list of really cool websites, rip off their content. You gave so them a, a link to your WordPress login. And yeah. Saw it. And they are all done. Okay. So, um, yes, I now I've completely lost my train of thought. The flow is gone. You've ruined it, Craig. Well, You've ruined the podcast. I, I felt like you were rushing through what were some very valid and interesting, exciting points from our listeners. And you wanted to dwell on them a little bit more. Well, yeah, there are listeners. You're on the wow. show. They're listening to you now. <laughs> They're probably regretting that fact. <laughs> Right, where do we get to? Recognising the value of web designers. Right. Interestingly, it's not just our clients who undervalue web designers. Many web designers undervalue themselves. I think this is probably the best one. Yeah. Andy Clark, this is, endeavours to encourage fellow web designers when he writes, you don't get paid for the hours you work, but for the years learning your skill and craft. I'm going to read that one more time because it is a really good one. You don't get paid for the hours you work, but for the uh, years learning your skills and craft. Um, however, it's not just a payment issue, really. Um, the Twitter community also encourages web designers to be willing to walk away if clients become unreasonable. And Alan Rowe um, writes, don't be afraid to say no or to walk away if the client becomes unreasonable. I just said that. Yes. Um, it only causes you pain and distress later on. Um, Dave, uh, David echoes Alan's point when he goes on to say, be clear, direct, and honest. Don't make promises you can't keep, which I've never done. He really? lied. <laughs> I, I, I think these two points, one from Andy and one from Alan, uh, are really, really good ones. They are. Um, the one about uh, getting paid for the hours you work, uh, as opposed to the years learning skills, is just something that resonates. If you've ever done, I think, any kind of, out of uni, you do some sort of 
freelancing work to sort of get some portfolio stuff before you get a job, yeah. which I think almost everyone I know has done something of. Um, and you just sit in a meeting with someone and you're saying how much it's going to charge, and they're almost shocked because they, I think they, they view it, especially in those situations when it's just one on one, that they're just putting almost like pocket money in your pocket, like, yeah, hey, I'm going to put this £100 straight in your pocket, and why are you worth that? I, I pay someone to. And they do something else, like fix my plumbing for this much, but they they're actually doing something physical. Whereas you're just sort of sitting there going, yeah. It's rooted in people thinking they can make websites yeah, because of things back it. in the day, like like front page and, and whatever else. And also the fact that they're on these sites like like Facebook, MySpace, Flickr. In a sense, they feel like they're making the sites. Yeah. So they think that it's it's as easy for them to do it. Therefore, it should be really easy for you. So they, they I think that's where you get these issues where people are, are not willing to pay. Or at least are surprised by the amounts you're quoting for. Yeah, that's why you also get these these proposals come in saying they've got a budget of like two hundred pounds or five hundred pounds, and they want to replicate Facebook. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, I think what people underestimate. I mean, you, right, the tools of creating a website are, are accessible to everybody. I mean, I I sat down. I needed to create a, a website for my youth group, and I really couldn't. You know, I was just not getting around to it. I thought, oh, screw it, I'm going to do it with iWeb, right? Because it'll be quick and it'll be simple and I don't care what the code's like and all the rest of it. And literally, I, I knocked up the entire site in under an hour. Um, but, you know, it's shit. Yeah. But what, what you're getting from a web designer is that, that knowledge of how users interact. It's the, you know, it's the, the understanding and the, you know, all the stuff that goes around, the physical ability to build it. Well, yeah, I mean, linking back to the, the microcopy thing, pushing for those kind of things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. Yeah. Well, I'm linking back to the, the, the simple one. Um, if you looked at a, quite a lot of sites, you'd, as, a, as a layman, you'd look at it and think, well, actually, that's just, you know, a, a white background, mm. a couple of fonts, and some stuff that's really simple, I can make that. Mm. And then you try and do it, and unless you just do a direct copy, you, you, you yeah. it's appalling. Um, and yet... To, to look at it, the simplicity actually causes you to think it's simple to make rather than it being a simple interface. Yeah. They think that they mistake the, the output for the process. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, all of these, all, and all of these points, you know, it's worth stressing, don't apply just to web designers, they apply to, you know, developers too. And that actually brings us on to, there was quite a lot of good um, uh, advice for developers. Um, so whether you're a front-end developer or a server-side coder, there was some really excellent advice coming out of Twitter. And Craig, I, I've included you in this with your... Oh, I felt so special. That yeah. Crushing went for comments. Yes, Craig, I agree. What I liked about yours was it was particularly pragmatic and it did make me smile. You, you wrote, um, web development is a balance between well-made and just, uh, made just to work. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which I think is the biggest thing you have to get used to when you're working for someone else rather than for yourself. Yeah. Because I think as a developer, on any personal project, you, you write, rewrite, 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 and you just want to refactor and make it pure and make it amazing and special and brilliant. But then you get into a work environment where you've actually got a deadline for it, and it, it's alongside things like content population and IA work and all kinds of other work. And, yeah. And you kind of, you battle with it. And yeah. You're sitting there with a, with a PM saying, yeah, okay, it needs to be done in a couple of days. And you're just thinking, oh, I can't do it really pure in those two days. I can rush it and hack it, but it needs to be pure. It needs to be amazing. Um, so there's that side, which is just essentially a, a personal, I need to be pure versus a, I'm rushed. But um, obviously there's actually a real reason for that as well. I mean, you, you've got to think about maintenance. So you've got to make something that you can come back to and adjust and, and fix and update and add to. Mm. Uh, and of course, it's got to be done quickly. I think there's 
the issue that a lot of developers I, I speak to complain about is that they're the other people in the in the company um, have more short-term goals in terms of development at least maybe not so much uh, the more visual things but um, so it will be kind of like we'll just make it work now and then you end up getting a situation where you rush to get it to work and then it kind of does work but not amazingly well and if you try and change it it, it really doesn't work yeah um, and then of course as a, as a bitter developer this is my bitter development mode you then blame the other people for rushing you in the first place so yeah like well if i'd made it correctly it would have been fine <laughs> you didn't let me make it correctly so, uh, so that's that's my one sentence to describe the bitterness that developers have you become yeah. more bitter you yeah. didn't stop there, but your bitterness moves in a different direction. Uh, <laughs> this really comes across as, I'm a .NET developer and I hate receiving all this abuse from the fanatical PHP crowd. You won't say, let's define the words. The back-end language really doesn't matter. You really sounded bitter well, then. it doesn't. Um, the, I've obviously explicitly said it's the back-end language, but I mean, kind of, I think it relates to a lot of things, not just back-end language, but a lot of decisions and frameworks and tools and things that people use that you get endless arguments about, endless blogs about which is better, which isn't better. Yeah. And essentially the actual real real point at the end of all of these posts, whether explicitly or mentioned or implicitly, is it depends. It depends on your circumstance. It depends on, for example, back in hours, it depends on your skill sets in-house. It depends on what the infrastructure you may or may not have to be deploying to. Um, in terms of what blog to use, it depends whether you want to pay, whether you don't and stuff. So... The, these big arguments, I think, are almost pointless. I mean, it's good to have comparisons so you can say that this is kind of what this is good for, this is kind of what this isn't as good for. But just people who kind of get religious about it and start saying, I love this and I hate this, and it's almost like a football team mentality rather than an yeah. actual rational reason. And that's kind of what I was pointing to there. And yeah, I mean, it is true of, of .NET because you do get people who hate it without really thinking about it. I mean, you obviously get people who hate it for a reason, and there are reasons. Um, but, <laughs> but you also get others who don't have reasons, which is uh, links to the post we did a while ago. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, like I say, it isn't just backhand language. I think it's that there seems to be a lot of uh, desire for infighting. And maybe, mm. maybe it's just because this is it's in everything, but I particularly notice it in this because the job that we do every day. But so many posts on blogs and on Twitters and things are just kind of meta arguments about things rather than actually doing things yeah and that's kind of what that was pointing in yeah about six words that <laughs> it, massive brand said. <laughs> yeah it's amazing how condensed you can become if you need to yeah, Mark, i mean has made me concise yes mark has mark mark um raised the same issue when he he had to go at the the kind of over enthusiasm that some groups have towards uh, WordPress, and he wrote WordPress is not the solution to everything. And of course, you know that's true of everything. Nothing is the solution to everything. I think it's mainly fear. Let's get serious. I think it's fear. No, I think that once someone invests time and effort into learning something, even if and when they do identify the weaknesses and the, the, the problems and stuff, they, because they've spent say two years getting to become the expert in whatever area it is, they become a big defender of it yeah almost blindly um because they kind of have to because if they didn't they'd kind of be agreeing that yes they may have wasted their time uh in the years gone by but that's not necessarily the case anyway i, mean, I think i mean since we've so experience i think you should be open to yeah to to changing stuff but you get a lot of this kind of religious -y type yeah Am I referencing religious too much no i can deal with that that's fine okay. religious people do tend to be fanatical 
as it's not always the case. It must be, it's not always the case. You do get very good people in each of these areas, but you are we talking get... about religion now, or are we back to? No, you don't get that in religion. <laughs> <laughs> no good people. No good religious people yeah. at all. Um, no, I mean, let's keep, this isn't a podcast about religion. Well, you brought it up. This isn't for your personal agenda. No. Uh, yes, there are good people. This is me covering myself in case someone then has a go at me and says, well, no, I'm very fair. There are fair people out there. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, the thing that came... I mean, there was no shortage of people, you know, touting the benefits of a particular framework. But there was also a lot of people kind of just talking about gen- the general principle yeah. of having a framework or having a, you know, a, 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 you know, working on a particular, you know, platform or whatever. I mean... Um, there was uh, somebody, 29 Visual, that summed it up well, where he said, um, learn a framework or develop one of your own. About 90% of a website structure can be reused. The other 10% falls to design. And, I, yeah, I thought that was quite a good point. And, I, okay, it's slightly different from the point you're getting at, but I do, you know, it's a valid one nonetheless. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that as well. I mean, the, the amount of sites that obviously are lists of things, details of those things. Yeah. If, you, if you're not using some sort of reusable framework, whether it be your own, or whether it be one that's obviously built out in the open with lots of users, lots of contributors, and lots of testers, it just seems like you're wasting your time. You you don't either be copying and pasting stuff from previous projects anyway, or, or even even worse, just rewriting it every time. Mm. There's no need for the majority of cases, which is why a lot of uh, sites, obviously, for example, internally to us as well, we use a, an inbuilt CMS technology. We don't try and reinvent the wheel every time. Wheel every time. Um, so yeah, I think that's good. Mm. Let's let's throw in a, a random last piece of advice for developers, which comes from Vicky, where um, she shares one of the nicest tweets of the lot, really, which is she says, "Code with humility and grace. Acknowledge those who are on IE six or screen readers." And I, I guess that brings us quite nicely onto the subject of accessibility. Um, the, the the Twitter responses I received were particularly passionate about accessibility. Um, however, as Ricky points out. Um, they wanted more than just access for the disabled. He wrote, forget um, dis- disability access, go for universal access. Um, and in particular, universal access included access for those using older browsers. That said, there was quite a lot of realism in the expectations. Nobody expected websites to look identical on all browsers. Um, David commented, websites should not look, not look the same on every browser. It's okay to be different. And this passion for graded browser support was really encouraging. However, it's not the end of people's ambitions. As Joel explained, accessibility also brings with it improved search engine placement. If your site is accessible, it's also search engine friendly, he wrote. Website owners are often willing to invest considerable money in things like SEO or design, but rarely in accessibility. And hopefully Joel um, has encouraged them to reconsider. Talking of investing in design, um, I want to conclude with some words of wisdom uh, with three pearls surrounding the the development of a design. The first comes from Colin, who says, prototype and consider other designs. Don't be narrow-minded. Be prepared to throw away every design at the design stage. And it's excellent advice. Often designers become locked into a single approach early in the development cycle and fail to experiment or seek out inspiration. Of course, there's a fine line between um, inspiration and theft, as uh, we talked about earlier, and Tom talks about as well, where he writes, remember, inspiration is not about copying, but rather kick-starting an idea of your own. 
And that takes, us, um, takes time and lots of different ideas and different approaches. But don't fret. If you're struggling to find your inspiration, remember Bruce's words of wisdom about design. Readers care much, 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 much less about your design than you do. They care about content, which is quite a depressing way to end. Um, but actually, we're not going to end there. To be honest, um, the idea of Twitter-driven posts um, was somewhat of a whim, but the replies have been extremely impressive. The post, um, you know, this this kind of discussion here doesn't really justify the depth or quality of the responses. There were some superb tweets on launching your site, reinventing the wheel, and the importance of copy. And I highly encourage you to read the entire list. However, I will leave you with some final words of wisdom from Jonathan Snook. He wrote, anything is possible. It's just a matter of time and money, which I think is very profound. And I agree with wholeheartedly. So no joke then to end this week. Um, Feels like we need an end point. I thought we had one there with the sport of the day. That was very... uh... Radio 4. Well, very Radio 4, wasn't it? It was nice. I, 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 I could go into a Radio 4. I could work on Radio 4. Maybe we should cut out this bit, just so it ends very nice in that, maybe playing some music. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I need to give a little announcement, which oh, is the fact yeah. that um, I think two weeks, actually, we have got Ryan and Paul on the show, rather than me and Marcus. Um, I'm going away on holiday next week, and then I'm at a conference the week after. So... We will see Paul and, um, and Ryan on the show next week with some exciting content. But please remember, they're northern. Don't give them any sympathy. So don't take too kindly to them, and we will return in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you for listening to the show, and um, see you again soon. Hello, world of Boeing. Join our forum at boagworld.com forward slash forum.